Good morning, Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. And I think, Greg, we got a text message here that you just pointed out that was sent to us at 10.51 p.m. last night. Yes. Is this a sign of what's to come? St. Anne's (laughs) and Nova Vista. Someone actually pointed this out to us last week. Yes. It's listed at 225.9, Petro Canada there. Do they have gas yet? Petro Canada? I know some of them do. Do they? Okay. Yes. I just passed one a couple of days ago, the one at uh, Fermor and La Jamodière, and it was still blanked out zeros, but that was over the weekend, so don't know if that situation has since changed. Yeah, they had the uh, yellow tape wrapped around hugging a lot of the pumps, right? Because they were straight out of gas at a lot of the Petro-Canada's. Uh, but they're back in business. I know McLeod and Henderson Highway, if you know differently, 780-6868. And this 225.9 at the Petrocan on St. Anne's and Nova Vista, is that what they're charging? Or are they just uh, trying to be very bold in their attempt to make sure you don't turn into their parking lot? <laughs> because I'm not sure how desperate you'd have to be, Could be in order to you know turn in there and go, yeah, okay, I'll give me some of that 225 a liter gas. Could be, because if it's listed at zeros, I wonder how many people turn in and say, free gas? That's a good point. Probably more than you'd think. Maybe $9.99 is the way to go then. (laughs) (laughs) Ten bucks a liter. Have you seen this list of rules that Meghan Markle has to follow now that she's the Duchess of Sussex? Yes, and it's kind of weird. What time? Can she go to bed? Well, she can go to bed anytime she wants as long as it's after the Queen goes to bed. So what if, like, what if the Queen is, like, an insomniac? Pulling an all-nighter? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if the what if the queen just got herself a bottle of Yukon Jack and is... Uh... Yeah, then Megan's in for the night. She's up. <laughs> she cannot go to bed before the queen. There are about six things on this list printed, and that's the most interesting one. I, I can say for me, maybe for you too, Brad, it should come as little surprise that the queen leads a very disciplined life from the moment she wakes until the time she goes to bed. Her day is scheduled like that of a cadet at boot camp which means she expects others to respect her schedule, too. Uh, uh, If I'm reading this, should I be saying schedule? Nope. Don't say that. Okay, I won't. This means if the queen heads to bed at 11 p.m., everyone else in her presence needs to wait until at least 11.01 p.m. to hit the hay. Now, she can't eat shellfish. That's one of the rules. Boo! So the no shrimp and bacon pizza for her. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> Greg's done with royalty. I'm done with royalty. Yep. She can't take selfies, which okay, that's that that seems okay. She can't stab her food with a fork. What? But, yeah. That's what they say. So what if you're having a bite of steak? You gotta gently nudge the piece of I steak think, with a knife? Press. You have to press the fork into the food. You can't stab it. You gotta Press it in. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. She can't play Monopoly? (laughs) (laughs) This must be a decidedly new rule. (laughs) Well, it sounds like a random and oddly austere rule, but apparently there's good reason the royals stay away from the capitalistic game. In 2008, Prince Andrew was gifted a game of Monopoly by the Leeds Building Society, but he said, We're not allowed to play Monopoly at home. It gets too vicious. (laughs) From the sounds of it, it's a good thing royals aren't allowed to get into the actual real estate game. 
<laughs> Jerry, you're a big proponent and a big uh, player of board games. I think you are too, Brett. I like the odd board game. Yeah. Monopoly does get vicious, so maybe this isn't as strange a rule as uh, you know than it is as it is at first blush. Of all the board games, I think that's the one that gets flipped the most. Really? Do you, I think so. How much of that do you think is frustration caused simply by how long it takes to play Monopoly? 100%. It just, <laughs> the, why is this taking so long? I mean, I, I just usually give up. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't you think know what? You know what? Oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry. I landed on Boardwalk. Oh, you've got two hotels. I'm out. Yeah. Well, you, you you could mortgage your... No, no, I'm out. Yeah, you know what? The the person doing the flipping of the board typically isn't the person winning. Yeah. So uh, there is some of the time factor involved there in the, in the frustration, but I I think we just all hate to lose at Monopoly. I've been known to flip a chessboard. A chessboard? Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah, I had some buddies over. Uh, it was it was late. It was, you Brett, know, weird. It, it was beyond, uh, let's just say it was beyond bedtime, and uh, certain faculties were, were not quite present at <laughs> 2 a.m., and one of them says, hey, let's play chess. And I thought, oh, no, this is going to be bad, because I'm... I like chess, but I'm not very good at it, whereas the person who asked is good at chess, so I knew exactly how it was going to go, but it was a slaughter. Within five minutes, he, he had me destroyed. I, so I flipped the board, and I, I lost one of the bishops for about a week. Just it, I just found it like it had somehow managed to fly across the room and tucked itself behind some books on my bookshelf, and I just found it randomly. Yeah, it was a great mystery for a while. One of our text messengers just said, <laughs> flipping a chessboard, I assume alcohol was involved. Well, the, the, you are correct, Don. It was, I was trying to say it without saying it, uh, but yeah, when you're playing chess at two in the morning, that, that's chances a good are, assumption. Chances yeah. are. And how about this one? Uh, how would you do with this one, Brett? She can't take selfies. This is the list of things that Meghan Markle cannot do, which is why we ended up talking about flipping Monopoly boards and chessboards, if you're just tuning in. I'm not really good at selfies, so I would be okay with that. My, my hands are shaky, so I have a hard time. You have shaky hands? Yeah, so I have a hard time. I'd be a terrible surgeon. So I'd ha- I have a hard time kind of ho- just propping the phone up in my hand to get that selfie straight. Have you seen that selfie stick? That self-leveling selfie stick that you can do all sorts of funky stuff with. That uh, it's weighted and it's got some sort of incredible bearing on it. Self-leveling bearing in it. I got to get one of those. I try to avoid all things called selfie sticks. Oh, well, <laughs> he just doesn't want the selfie stick at all. <laughs> I don't care if it's got shocks. They're in the an abomination. And... Uh, Bruce emails Brett at cjob.com. Monopoly frustration. I have it in check now, but when I was young, the most frustrating thing about Monopoly was that you're kind of ethically required to play the game out when you know that it is inevitable that you are about to lose. This irritated me to no end until I finally figured out that it's, you know, a game. (laughs) It's not a game, it's an analogy for life. Well, isn't there a game called Life if you want to play (laughs) Life and play play Life? life. Play Life. (laughs) (laughs) Or Popomatic Trouble. That I love trouble. Pop, 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 trouble. That was a those, fun those game. Little, those little dome things were awesome. They were awesome. You, you want to see some fights, play trouble, and then you have to decide between which of your two kids you're going to send back one of their pieces back to home. It uh, could traumatize them for life. 
They are signing up to play, but as they grow older, a growing number of girls are dropping out of sport. Between the ages of 3 and 17, more than half of Canadian girls have signed up for a sport, but as they enter adulthood, that number drops to just 16%. Wow, less than half the participation rate of men. But as Global's Nikki Judy explains, one local group is trying to change that. It's recess, and Emily Tapper and Jersey Cates are playing their favorite sport, ultimate frisbee. I like passing the frisbee far or close and defensing to hit it down and uh, teamwork. Both girls say playing sports is important to them. Well, you can meet friends, and even though boys say they're better than you, you're the same because you can do what they can do too. But not all girls their age are involved in athletics. And the big issue too is that if a girl by the age of 10 has not participated in sport, she has less than a 10% chance of participating in sport or being physically active as an adult. Andrea Cates is a former competitive martial artist. She helped create an online resource to help girls in Winnipeg find a sport or fitness activity that's right for them. You might have to try 20 things before you find something that you love, but in sport we become more confident and increase our self-esteem. We learn how to win, we learn how to lose. Meanwhile, Tapper and Cates have a busy summer ahead filled with camps and more Ultimate Frisbee. Nikki Judy, Global News. Now in that piece from Nikki, you heard the voice of Andrea Katz, who is the founder of Fit Communications and Fit Women and Girls. She's a good friend of this radio station and is the person who brought this to our attention. Yesterday morning, she spoke with Kathy Kennedy in for Jeff Courier. First of all, when I saw these numbers, I was absolutely astounded. Why do you think that is, Andrea? You know, it's. I felt the exact same way. I think the um, there's a few issues for sure when it comes to participation for girls. Um, girls are dropping out of sport at a rate six times more likely than boys by the age of 15. There's lots of different reasons as to why that's happening. Everything from cost, um, a perceived lack of options. Um, you know, there's there's this social stigma of thinking if you're in sports that you're that you're a butch or you're a tomboy and that kind of thing. Um, and then as girls get older, you know, in that 14 to 17 range, they have other things that they want to do with their time, maybe be a part-time job or social pressures that they want to do instead of, um, you know, necessarily spending their time in a gym. So how do we change the mindset then? You know, I think it's really up to the adults and parents to um, lead by example. So if you want your child um, or the kids in your life to be active, then you need to to be doing that yourself. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be running marathons every second weekend, but going to the gym or participating in a yoga class or, or playing an outdoor soccer league for the summer. So really showing them by example that this is something that you want for yourself and there's a lot of positive reasons for you for, for yourself and therefore you want to emulate that to your kids as well. Now news today, Participation is out with its annual report card on physical activity for children and youth and it finds that overall Canadian kids still are not moving enough so I'm sure we'll hear more about that throughout the morning and this all ties into your kids baseball team. Yeah, it really does, Brett. Uh, we have three girls on uh, the boys' baseball team this year. It's not a mixed league. Uh, that's just the way it turned out. One of the teams we played uh, yesterday had a girl on their team. And I'll only mention this 
to add to the discussion, hopefully this will indicate that these uh, young ladies will continue to participate in sport at a high level. Lots of discussion about whether girls and boys should be playing together. I think it's fantastic for both of them, for both the boys and the girls on the team to be interacting with one another at that at that level and to gain a lot of respect for one another on and off the field. I think it's outstanding. I'm Greg, he's Brett, it's Mackling and McGarry in the morning on a Tuesday. Kind of cloudy start this morning. I thought we were supposed to have sun to kick things off. Well, it's it's peeking through the clouds. It's mostly cloudy, but there's a few, there's quite a few breaks in those clouds. Okay, I'm counting on your eyes because oh, I have a yes. giant billboard in front of me <laughs> that's filtering the uh, my view uh, completely. In fact, it's blocking my view uh, so as the sun is not in my eyes. And speaking of billboards... The billboard at the Portage mm. Avenue in Sherbrooke. We mentioned this just momentarily yesterday in case you missed it. I drove by there uh, last night, yesterday afternoon late, and noticed that there are ladders, scaffolding, modified scaffolding there as there's work beginning on the bane of my existence at the intersection intersection of Portage Avenue and Sherbrooke to update that structure so it can be a feature billboard for the Winnipeg Art Gallery. Indeed, we're hoping to speak with them later this morning. And is it true that, refresh my memory, was it uh, a Winnipeg Tribune sign until about 1980? Yes, it was. Okay. It was gigantic. And then uh, Ron Abel. I remember one of the great morning yeah. men uh, who worked in this building once upon a time, KY58, that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, his his billboard was up there for a very long time. In fact, it may have been the last billboard that I remember up there. It may have been the bil- last advertisement that was up on that billboard, a period dot. Wow. Yeah, it's such, an, such a nice, because it's such a nice old building, and then it's got this just grotesquerie. Grotesquerie, I like that. And you know, when you realize that the skyline is of Winnipeg is changing so dramatically, right? It's when you're heading east on Portage Avenue, it is definitely, uh, it's un, it's impossible not to notice it. Yeah. So anyway, that's getting fixed up and uh, we commend uh, the folks at Sussex Realty and the Winnipeg Art Gallery for making that happen. Uh, one thing that might be a little bit longer to sort out, uh, what's happening, the migration flap in the United States, U.S. President Donald Trump and House Republicans will hold a crucial meeting later today as lawmakers push to end the policy of separating children from their parents at the U.S.-Mexico border. Members of both parties are decrying the administration's so-called zero-tolerance approach to migrant detention. However, the Trump administration will not back down from its immigration policy that is separating families. Instead, Homeland Security Secretary Christian Nielsen says Americans should not believe media reports that say some children are being kept in cages. Mm, Except... Pictures and video taken by media show exactly that. American Academy of Pediatrics President Colleen Kraft says she visited one Texas facility and saw one toddler girl sobbing and beating her fists on a mat. Here is Global's Eric Sorensen. Was it a single photograph that turned public opinion? Or the mounting numbers of children taken from their families? Or was it watching the most powerful nation shred its own principles to help those in need? Not far from the Statue of Liberty, protesters at a New Jersey detention center invoked Lady Liberty's poem, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. If the United States has any reason for being, it's to be a refuge and a haven for those who should not fear 
political oppression. I hate the children being taken away. President Trump says he hates doing it, but in manipulating the law to crush the aspirations of asylum seekers, is he crushing the spirit of his own country? I'd like to say it's un-American, but it's happening right now in America. In a country that espouses Christian values, the attorney general almost gleefully cited the Bible to defend separating families. To the apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans uh, 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained, ordained the government for his purposes. How dare you go into the Bible when you're trying to, trying to save your own rear end? Your own job, Mr. Sessions. It is enraging the president's critics, not because anything Trump does surprises them, but because it is costing the country its reputation. The United Nations is appalled witnessing this side of America. The thought that any state would seek to deter parents by inflicting such abuse on children is unconscionable. But there may be a political cost even for this president. Even some of Trump's political base are abandoning him on this. More than 20 year uh, straight Republican voter and I am not anymore. Uh, with the separation of families we are seeing something inhumane that I do not believe is American. Sometimes one photograph can distill a tragedy, but so can the sounds. <laughs> These from a detention center obtained by ProPublica. What is happening behind these doors, these walls, and these tent cities, one can imagine the dread of any parent and the fear felt by every child. Eric Sorensen, Global News. I pulled the entire audio from Jeff Sessions that June 14th speech that he met, that he made when he invoked and, and brought out uh, passages from the Bible to justify this. He also said, you know, the, the kids and the parents are not really separated for that long. One, two, maybe three weeks. That would feel like a lifetime if you were a little kid. And the only the only snippet in that entire two minutes that made me sit up and, and go, hmm, maybe I could see a different side of that is the fact that, you know, if you or I go to jail, uh, we don't get to bring our family to jail. We go on our own. But that, that's about the extent of it. And for all the critics that are speaking out against this included in that list, all the living first ladies, including Donald Trump's wife, Melania. Yeah. And uh, as you pointed out, it would seem like forever. Just take any kid who's ever said, are we there yet? Even a one hour trip in the car seems like forever. So, yeah, one week, two weeks, three weeks would be a nightmare. Compulsively playing video games now qualifies as a mental health condition. The UN Health Agency says classifying gaming disorder as a separate condition will serve a public health purpose for countries to be better prepared to identify the issue. So today we're having coffee talking about gaming disorder. Have you or someone you know spent too much time gaming? Jerry, well, let me start with you. You strike me as somebody who played... I know you played Yars Revenge on the Atari 2600. Oh, oh yeah. When I was really young, uh, I've... Well, good thing I had parents who wouldn't let me play all the time because I would have been playing Yars Revenge hours upon hours on end. Uh, and that was proven when I uh, graduated college, got my first job in radio. It was a split shift, and I wasn't done until about midnight. And then I'd go home, and I would play Railroad Tycoon uh, well after the sun came up. Railroad every, Tycoon. What's, every day. <laughs> what system was that? That was on uh, the PS1. 
Oh, okay. Look at that. Yeah, Railroad Tycoon. All right. I believe it's actually Railroad Tycoon 2 that oh, I played. Well, then, that's, that's <laughs> even better. Uh, what about you, Shannon? Are you a gamer? Um, a little bit. Like I have, I have a Nintendo Switch at home, and and I enjoy it very much. Now, when I first got it, I did spend a bit too much time playing it. Now I've learned that you know what, it's just it's just going to be there. The game will be uh, be where I left it. But years ago, of course, I, I used to play uh, online gaming with a guild, and I had other people I played with, and we'd go on um, raids, and we'd go into dungeons, and I would play for hours and hours on end, like eight hours and it's like oh i just we just got started and i realized like i don't know if it was necessarily a gaming addiction but it was more of a an escapism kind of thing was leroy jenkins in your group that's what i was gonna say (laughs) (laughs) no 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 he no he wasn't and i think i think that one was more addictive I, i try to stay away from games like that now because um because you're also you're kind of in this other world, I found I was interacting with these people and I had this this guild and they were depending on me because I had to go heal people while we were trying to, you know, get this boss so we could get all these rewards and it took hours and hours. And so now if I wanna if I wanna uh, play a game, I'm not playing with anybody else online. I'm just playing by myself. I don't want to invest the time because I know it's it's more addictive if I'm playing with other people online. Yeah, I never thought about that. Did not you almost feel obligated? You you are obligated because if you're in, if you're in this this party and then you leave, oh You're cut off. That's the worst. <laughs> You'll be ostracized. Oh, because you only have room for maybe five people and you need um, you need, you know, like certain certain specific types of people in that group. And if one of the healers is to leave, oh, my goodness. Jeff Braun, you a gamer? No, I can't do it. I When I got my big screen TV like seven years ago or whatever, I was like, oh, I got an old PlayStation Station 1 in a box. Let's hook it up, see what it looks like on the big screen. And I played my Spider-Man game for about 10 minutes. Oh, I got just nauseous. I almost threw up. I was like, well, that, that's the end of my video game career, I guess. <laughs> but were you ever addicted to games? Uh, no. When, I was, when the first Nintendo first came out, my friend Derek and I once stayed up all night playing Contra, trying to beat it. Awesome. Yeah. Spread gun. So we did that once. That was about it. I, and then my parents wouldn't let me play it too much. I did get the Nintendo thumb after a while. Oh, wow. <laughs> Greg, uh, are you a gamer or is it just, uh, is it, you, I know that there's a story in your family. Yeah, no, I was never really a gamer. The pinball was about as big a deal for me as video games are to kids. And even then I wasn't all that in love with the idea of dumping a quarter in a machine every single time I wanted to, I, you know, I was playing sports and so video games was never a big deal for me, but my mom, uh, God rest her soul, uh, absolutely loved video games. When Ms. Pac-Man came out, we were living in Brandon and I think, I think there was a long John Silvers in, uh, the gallery mall in Brandon. And I bet you she dumped hundreds, uh, if not thousands of quarters into the Ms. Pac-Man machine when it came nice. out and Tetris, my mom could sit and play Tetris on, was it, was it on the NES? Yeah. And the Game Boy. And the Game on everything. Boy. Yeah. She didn't have a Game Boy, but on the NES, yeah, I could go to school sometimes and then come back home if she wasn't working that day and she'd still be <laughs> at lunchtime. <laughs> Playing Tetris and then come back home at four o'clock and she'd still be playing Tetris. Very addictive personality, I think my mom had. And uh, oh boy, she could play those games for hours and hours. You? 
Well, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually just thinking of all the games my mom has been hooked on over the years. She so it started, I believe, with this. It was like a tabletop miniature oh, yes. Pac-Man arcade thing. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, she had that and would play that for hours. And I can't remember what it's called, but uh, I know that if I just do some quick Google Foo, we'll be able to find it. I've been trying to actually get my hands on Something one. Something Trex. Yeah, it might my be. dad had one my at his mom, house. My mom's game was Cubert on the ColecoVision. Well, and that was the next one. She also had a tabletop Cubert that she would play for hours and hours and hours. And then she would play Dig Dug in the Atari 2600. And it always drove me nuts that she was way better at it than I was because she played it a lot more. And then eventually it was Tetris on the Game Boy. She'd sit around and play that forever. Did you find it? Yeah, it's Vectrex. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they yeah. had the, the oh, little no. tiny... Is uh, that not it's it? It's similar. It's similar it's, it's to a one-piece unit. It actually looks like an arcade okay. machine okay. that had been shrunk okay. to sit on your tabletop. Those little, the little Cubert one, that was the one I always wanted, but I never got it. Yeah, it was amazing. But I, and I too, loved video games. I remember... Super Mario Brothers 2 and Super Mario Brothers 3. I remember trying to defeat the main boss, Wart, and I failed. And uh, I just stayed up all, like, stayed up, lied in bed because I couldn't play it anymore. My parents told me to turn it off. And I would just lie there thinking about how to do it. And I actually would come up with a strategy that I would then have to wait through all day at school the next day and then have to do my homework before I could finally play the game again and enact this strategy. So yeah, like it when I played video games, they dominated my thoughts to the point of probably bordering on this disorder. Like it was it was Holy mildly smacks. disruptive. Uh, my thankfully my parents kept me on the rails a little bit because otherwise I would do nothing but play video games. What about now? Now you don't do it? Now I don't know. I I do <laughs> It's funny. I went to PNP Games a few years ago. I went looking for one game for the Nintendo Entertainment System. I walked out of there with 7. <laughs> and uh, I have since played each of them exactly one time. Oh I just gosh. I never I don't have time because my PVR if I'm actually doing anything with my television it's trying to get through the PVR that's always overstuffed. 7806868 text message us what video game were you addicted to and tell us a little story if you've got one to attach to it we'd love to hear from you some of the, part of the problem too is these games as Shannon Lee was pointing out these games can take hours and hours and hours and hours to play i remember playing final fantasy on nintendo and you would have to play it for hours on end just to uh, just to get enough coins to buy whatever weapon or spell or airship you needed to get to the next level. So, yeah, they're designed to suck you in for hours on end and keep you addicted so you buy more. If you're a hockey fan, you can anticipate several trades, perhaps even major trades going down as we work towards Friday's NHL entry draft. In fact, the first round of it, the rest of the rounds will take place on Saturday in Dallas, Texas. Well, the first domino falls in terms of the trade game. The Ottawa Senators have traded forward Mike Hoffman less than one week after a story broke about his partner's alleged harassment of team captain Eric Carlson's wife. Senators announced today they have traded Hoffman, prospect defenseman Cody Donahue, and a fifth-round pick in the 2020 draft to the San Jose Sharks for forward 
Going to have to get you to say this one, Greg. Mikael Bedker and uh, defenseman Julius Bergman, along with a sixth-round draft pick in the 2020 draft. Uh, just to remind you, Melinda Carlson, Eric Carlson's wife, filed a peace bond application last month, alleging that Monica Carrick, Hoffman's fiance, posted hundreds of derogatory online messages aimed at her and her husband. More details are to follow. So that's breaking sports news. There is one organization that has couple of people who are not in the lineup. Yes, it's time now for Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Blue Bombers open their season Thursday night with a 33-30 loss to Edmonton. It was also the debut of all-star linebacker Adam Big Hill in blue and gold. Here he is with Bob Irving. Interesting experience, wasn't it? It was a uh, it was a long experience. Um, it, yeah, it was it was kind of a crazy game to kind of go through the the delays and um, you know the challenges that it presents for both teams. But um, you know, at the end of the day, it was great to see. Like after the second delay, we still got tons of fans out there, and it was still loud. And you know, so the environment was good. It was great to see the team, our team, rally and and react to the adversity. You know, what I mean, like there wasn't. I didn't feel like there was a lag of a play coming out of you know the, the, the delays of time. So um, it was great to see everyone kind of rally together and, and, and really be ready to play football. How did you stay loose? How did you kill the time? Well, in here you've seen a lot of guys doing a bunch of different things. Some guys, you know, played a few cards. Some guys were, you know, one guy took a nap. One guy, you know, I mean, you see guys riding a bike, you know, a bunch of different stuff. So yeah, there was a few different strategies. That's a challenge, though, to, to have not just one but two long delays like that. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a challenge, and uh, you know, it's something I don't really want to have to go through again. If we can, we can, uh, we can help it. You never had those in BC, did you? No, well, we uh, fortunately had that roof, which was good. <laughs> How did you feel about your play, Adam, in your first game? I felt pretty good. You know, I felt like um, was able to get after the quarterback, and uh, you know, had a few quarterback hits that could have turned into sacks. You know, those will come. Um, you know, uh, I felt like I played fast. The game was still slow and, and rallied to the football, and and uh, felt like I was able to contribute and make some plays. Did you feel comfortable in the defense, or is that going to still take some time? No, no, the comfort thing's been there for a while now. Um, you know, you can't reinvent football, and, you know, my understanding, you know, like I'm, I'm an X's and O's guy. I'm a, I'm a basically, you know, a football guru. That's how I, I love football, right? So, I mean, um, you know, I, I try to learn as much as I can. So as far as me coming into the system and just, it was just about terminology, understanding a new terminology, and that came quick. And so from there, it's just back to playing football as I've, as I've normally played it. So when a defense gives up over 400 yards passing and almost 500 yards of offense, you say, whoa, we got to be better. Or, boy, those guys were really good that, on that night. Oh, I mean, it's a, it's a great great thing you pose I mean but if you hear me on this uh, you know take their three big catchers away that were 50-50 balls that they won that we didn't um, it wasn't blown coverages it was battles that they they won they were great catchers by them they get paid too um, you take those three catchers away they're under they're under 300 yards passing they're around 240 maybe you know, it was a 101 yard touchdown it was a 60 and like another 45, 50 yard ball. I mean, those big plays accounted for much of the field position changes and momentum swings in that game for their offense. And, um, you know, our, our thought is, you know, obviously we, we don't want to give those up, but you can't expect, a team can't expect to win 50, 50 balls 
100% of the game. And unfortunately, that's what happened to us. So, I mean, going forward, I think we're going to get a lot of more of those balls in our favor. And the, and the stats are going to look completely different if you follow me. How are you and your family fitting into Winnipeg? I'm picking up my family tonight, okay. going to the airport, picking them up. So cool. um, it's going to be great. They're excited to be here, got into our new apartment, and, uh, you know, excited to, you know, live life as a family out here in Winnipeg. So uh, the Big Hills will be a family as we speak. This yesterday, of course, uh, Bob Irving in conversation with Adam Big Hill. The Blue Bombers defense allowed 481 yards in that loss last night. And on the coaches' show, Michael Shea spoke about tightening things up for Friday night in Montreal. Yeah, closing out is going to be one of the things that we need to uh, be better at. And and uh, it's interesting to to pinpoint what that is. You know, is mm-hmm. is is pretty difficult because. Mm-hmm. You know, the same plays you're making for, you know, the majority of the game, you just, at the end, uh, they, they catch one or two more passes on you than they did earlier in the game, and they, they move the ball a little bit. Yeah. Um, a couple mm-hmm. passes, you just got to, you know, bear down and and um, and and make a play. Now, the other big story coming out of week one for the Blue Bombers was the leg injury to backup quarterback Alex Ross was hurt on a missed field goal attempt in the third quarter and will be sidelined for a month to six weeks. So Winnipeg assigned former Toronto and Saskatchewan backup Mitchell Gale to the practice roster. And the 28-year-old from Oklahoma was actually cowboying it up when he received the call. The uh, NFL Pro Rodeo there in, in uh, central Alberta, just north of Calgary, about an hour. I, was, I didn't know what was going to happen with football, if anything was. You know, at, at this point in my career, nothing really surprises me. You know, just, I was kind of prepared for it because it's happened to me before and I was excited to join the club. This is not the death chart anyone would have drawn up even five weeks ago for the Blue Bombers. It will now be Brian Bennett backing up Chris Strevler on Friday night in Montreal and Bob will have the bro- broadcast starting with the pregame show at 4 p.m. 4 p.m. On Friday. It's a 6 o'clock kickoff for Friday night football. Oh, Wow, I used to like bomber game days uh, when I was on afternoons here at CJOP. <laughs> I bet you did. It's like a <laughs> lifeline, right? <laughs> and the latest edition of the Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown and yours truly will be released later on today. And if you don't want to miss a single episode, uh, just subscribe uh, the, for the podcast at uh, iTunes, Google Play, and uh, Omni, CJOB.com, all sorts of places, wherever podcasts are available. Along with while you're at it, subscribe and download and just become a fan of the Couch Potatoes podcast here on 680 CJOB. When's the show this week? Couch Potatoes with me and Jeff Braun, Saturday afternoon at noon and Sunday evening at 6. And for those who might be listening online as well, we are also broadcast in Calgary, Edmonton, Hamilton, London, as well as Kamloops. And we're working on trying to get Vancouver to come aboard. Get well. on that. Yep. That'd be great. Yep. So we're working on that. Now that uh, now that Charles Adler is actually set up over there, I should drop him a line and tell him to walk into the boss's office and say, hey, I'm, I'm the boss, I'm the boss of talk. Listen here. Uh, that's a terrible Charles Adler impression. <laughs> I'm sorry, Charles. <laughs> the boss with the hot sauce. <laughs> the UN Health Agency is listing compulsively playing video games as a mental health condition. Here's Global News' Amanda Jelowicki with more. It's a constant struggle. 
how much time parents should let their kids play video games. Uh-oh, here's the hard part, right, Mama? New research indicates playing too much can cause serious harm. Compulsive video game playing is now being classified as a mental disorder. We think inclusion of this diagnosis will have public health gains. The WHO estimates about 2 to 3% of all gamers may have a serious gaming disorder. Symptoms include not having control over playing video games, losing interest in socializing with family or friends, irritability or aggression when not playing. The WHO says symptoms must occur for at least 12 months. I am very concerned. I think this is a growing problem. Dr. Jeffrey Derevensky consulted on the WHO's new classification. He admits it's tough for parents with games like Fortnite becoming a national obsession. But he says parents must set limits. I think the advice is to pay more attention to what your children are doing. Look for changes in their behavior. Look for changes in their irritability or social behavior. Some experts don't believe compulsive gaming is a real affliction. Gamers complain they're under attack and their passion isn't an addiction. But some former addicts warn gaming can ruin your life. Never graduated. Never went to college and got to a point where I was pretending to have jobs, playing video games up to 16 hours a day, and eventually actually wrote a suicide note. Experts won't say how many hours a week kids should play, but they warn if children struggle juggling homework, sleep and sports, gaming should be the first to go. Amanda Jelowicki, Global News, Montreal. Now, Hillary Cash is a founding member of Restart, an inpatient gaming addiction program in Fall City, Washington. Well, we've been for 10 years almost, uh, and for me in private practice, many years beyond that, dealing with uh, people who are have developed terrible problems as a result of their gaming. And uh, so it's been very obvious to me that it can reach the point of an addiction. And we know from the science that those same neural pathways are being lit up, that are being lit up when you are a gambling addict, a cocaine addict, and, and other you know, any kind of addict. It's the same neural pathways that are lighting up, firing, overstimulated, and it leads to addiction. Cass says people who have a gaming addiction generally have a much different personality type than those with substance addiction, and so a different type of treatment is needed. Well, the reason it's different is because their life experiences are very different. If uh, most... Um, of the drug and alcohol uh, addicts that I have met have usually started their addiction when they were teenagers. And let's just uh, compare somebody who starts as a teenager and the intervention happens, they get treatment when they're 20. They have been deep in their addiction, let's say for up to eight years. Our guys have been deep in their addiction for much longer than that. And their addiction is not a social one. They're not partying. They're not being sexually active, uh, you know, with folks. They are isolated. They are not improving their social skills uh, and developing social confidence. They're isolating out from the world. They're not out in the world. And so their personalities tend to be kind of dependent and uh, quiet and reserved and withdrawn and socially avoidant. And that's just a different personality type given the different uh, experiences that they have. So mixing them up often doesn't work well.
Anthony Bean is a psychologist and the executive director of the TELUS Project, a mental health clinic in Fort Worth, Texas. He doesn't think gaming disorder should be a designated illness, at least for right now. There is um, harm and there's also some, some good news. So it's kind of one of those catch-22s where as having a classification um, leads to more research in it um, and understanding of it, but the classification should then be altered and, and changed over time to, to have that new research. Now, at this current point, we don't have an idea of what really constitutes uh, video gaming or addiction because it, the research just hasn't been there. So I would consider this move by the World Health Organization to be a little bit of a, what we'd say is putting the cart before the horse. Um, it doesn't mean that it's not there, but I, at the current paradigm, the current state of affairs, we don't necessarily have the the research or the tools to really understand what is uh, what this really means. Now, the harm that it can do is it can lead to a lot of what we call misdiagnosis. So in my experience of working with gamers, uh, what I usually see is that gaming is a secondary condition to a primary of anxiety and depression. Whereas if we work with the anxiety and depression, we then have the ability to reduce the gaming or the gaming alleviates itself in its uh, in a nutshell. Keep that feedback coming on video game addiction. 204-780-6868 is the number to text. People try to put us to I'm Brett. He's Greg. Behind the glass, Jerry. Selecting the tune, but now I'm selection <laughs> How old is this song? I want to say 1965, 66. Sure, somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you'd know off the top of your head. Certainly in the 60s, right? So this whole idea of generational divide is nothing new. It's like, can we safely put that part of this discussion to rest, that there's always a generation that looks down on one or two generations below them. It's just the way it is. It's always been that way. Recorded October 13, 1965, released as a single October 29, 1965. Not bad. Well done, sir. Well done. And we're talking about generations because Global News has a series this week called Generation Z. We learned yesterday who... The Gen Zers are, mm-hmm. and now we're asking the question, are they glued to technology? Mm-hmm. Here's the second story of an eight-part series on the Generation Z population in Canada. Who they are, what drives them, and how they envision their future. Social media apps, I use a bunch. I use Twitter, Instagram. WhatsApp. Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. Face-to-face as much as I can, especially with families, how I communicate with people, uh, but friends, I mainly through my phone, texting, calling, stuff like that. I'm mostly texting to communicate with others. Um, it's more easier for me and I don't always have to call because like, sometimes I don't really want to feel like calling people. Email to um, just send short messages back to my parents. As for friends, definitely instant messaging on the Messenger app or Facebook. Like my grandma, I'll call. She doesn't really know how to use her phone that well. She doesn't see that. But um, for my friends, I'll just text. It depends who it is. If it's my parents, it's mainly calling. Or if it's my siblings, it's just mainly texting. Most of my family is still in India and uh, we have multiple WhatsApp groups, uh, multiple Snapchat groups that are just really, really active and the chunk of our communication takes place there. I think social media has really become a determinant of my outlook on the day. Um, For example, if I choose to upload a photo and it's not doing very well according to, I guess, my standards, um, then it almost gives you the sense that 
you aren't really worthy. When I see stuff on Instagram, it doesn't really change my mood much. It like I I never really get sad off of seeing something on Instagram, but I I normally I actually sometimes I get happy. It's like seeing an event coming out or something like that. When I know people that if maybe they see something sad on social media, it can totally ruin their mood for the day. Maybe a sad video or just some sad news. It can totally affect people. On Instagram, you'll see people with like perfect bodies. And like sometimes you will wish that like you had that. I, I think that's that's part of the reason why I've tried to uh, cut it out as much as I could because you could be in a perfectly happy mood, but um, seeing one negative post can you know totally alter that and you know affect you for the rest of the day, and it it kind of uh, takes the control away from you. You know, one of the young people in there. <laughs> I sound old now. One of the, one of those young people there. Get off my lawn. <laughs> talk, spoke, mentioned about this whole idea of how they prefer to communicate. Text message, right? Mm -hmm. And does anybody know how to pick up the phone anymore? Um, probably not. Right? I mean, for a lot of people, it's a source of anxiety to pick up a phone and actually have a conversation with someone, a conversation, you know, text message messaging has its place yep. and, and email has its place. I know you can sometimes, I've done business deals with people essentially over email because sometimes the individual on the other side isn't available and you can kind of let things sit and percolate and then you can uh, refine and answer the email in a very precise fashion. But quite often it's a gigantic way of time to text message and email when you could pick up a phone, make an appointment with someone and even cover off some of the finer points that you were going to discuss and maybe even eliminate a face-to-face -face meeting, which uh, probably a lot of people would like to eliminate as well yeah. because either they're uncomfortable or they're big waste of time. Yeah, I know just for, for our, to put it into context for what we do here, and I'm sure that uh, you can put it into similar context for your job, but when we are trying to book interviews for our various shows sometimes we rely on email and we go back and forth and we don't hear from anybody and then we think oh it's not going to happen when all it takes is a simple phone call hi there you want to come on the show yep well I'd that was easy to. yep that was easy right so sometimes it is easier to just pick up the phone and yet and when it, when using the cell phone it feels almost old-fashioned to pick up the phone. Now, one of the, there's some stats here in this generation glued. If you go to globalnews.ca or cjob.com, you'll find the story is Generation Z glued to technology. And there's a graphic here that shows hours per day spent on the phone. And 45.5% of people in this survey, in the 356 self-proclaimed Gen Zers, 45.5% of them say they are on their phone three to six hours a day. 26.1% uh, say one to three hours. 17% say six to nine hours. 9% oh. 10 hours. Oh. And then 2.2% simply have no phone. How long would you say you spend with your phone? Cumulatively? On, in your hand. I'm probably in that three to six hour. Yeah. I'd say I'm in the three to six hour. Yeah, for sure. But once again, it's not a phone, right? It's a computer. It's a handheld computer. And this whole idea of calling it a phone anymore is probably outdated altogether because for most people, 
that's the only thing they don't use it for yeah. is actually using it as a telephone. It's a handheld computer. It's a banking apparatus. It's something that we use to communicate uh, with text message and and email, of course. Uh, but also we're constantly it's replacing the physical newspaper, the physical magazine that we for years would pick up in the you know in the waiting room at the doctor's office. Wonder if there'd be a way to check the numbers of pictures of food posted to social media <laughs> versus the number of phone calls made in this country. Oh, that is a great question. <laughs> Google, if you're listening, of course, why wouldn't you be in collecting all this uh, data? Why don't you uh, do a little bit of a survey on that? I think that would be fascinating. Right now, we want to talk about the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame, which has announced its 2018 inductees. The 39th annual induction ceremony will take place November 3rd at the Victoria Inn. Among the inductees of the 1962 Manitoba Ladies Golf Team, retired curler Jeff Stoughton, and former member of the Winnipeg Jets, Joe Daly, who joins us now live on 680 CJOB. And Mr. Daly, first of all, congratulations to you on this induction. Well, thank you so much, Brent. It's uh, certainly an honor that uh, I'll cherish the rest of my life, and uh, my family will also be able to uh, look up to uh, Grandpa uh, or or Dad and uh, and think of all the uh, wonderful times I had uh, uh, growing up, uh, playing sports, and uh, now uh, being recognized like this. It's just very humbling. So you're a goaltender in the National Hockey League and the World Hockey Association. You played, for example, for Pittsburgh, for Buffalo, Detroit, and then when the Winnipeg Jets uh, came here with the World Hockey Association, you joined them and closed out your career over seven seasons. What was that like? You, you had, a, I mean, you've, your career expe- is over two decades, but you got to to come to Winnipeg after over a dozen years playing hockey, come to your hometown. So, what was that like getting to play hockey in your hometown for the home team? Well, it certainly uh, became uh, very special to me. Uh, considering uh, the successes that we had as a team and uh, certainly traveling uh, all over the world, uh, playing in the Asbestos Club in uh, Russia, playing uh, exhibition games in Europe against uh, uh, some of the top teams in Sweden, Finland, Czechoslovakia. So, I mean, we, uh, we carried that uh, logo uh, all over the world with great pride, and certainly I did as a hometown boy. Uh, and having a, a chance to play with so many wonderful players, it's, uh, I, I reflect now and think of how lucky I was uh, to have been a Winnipegger and uh, to, uh, for Billy Robinson to give me the chance to come back home and, uh, and get my career uh, going in another direction and uh, certainly uh, benefited uh, me uh, and my family so much. What area of Winnipeg did you grow up in? East Kildonan, uh, and I always say I've never grown up, so <laughs> I, uh, I still think I'm a kid. But, uh, yeah, East Kildonan, uh, Bronx Park, and uh, East End Barrens were my uh, minor uh, uh, community clubs uh, that I uh, played most of my uh, minor hockey at. And, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks, uh, having found out about this wonderful honor, I uh, you do a little reflecting and you think about all those uh, days at the community club with your buddies and uh, and the things that we uh, tried to accomplish as kids and, of course, the dream of someday being an NHLer and certainly never dreaming about being honored uh, in a Hall of Fame of any sort. 
Now, Greg, I should point out, first of all, I feel kind of guilty doing this interview because Greg is such a gigantic fan of the Winnipeg Jets and all of their history, and I'm sure he would love to be a part of this interview. He did point out to me uh, that before he had to run, the Johnstown Jets are a team that you played for in the EHL in 1963-64 and 64-65. Is it true that that team was the inspiration for the Johnstown Chiefs in Slapshot? Well, I, I, I don't know whether that team was or that league was because, uh, you know, once I saw that, uh, that movie, I said uh, I really didn't have to go and see the movie because I lived it in real life. I mean, there was... There was times during my uh, two years stint in Johnstown that I certainly wondered uh, uh, what was going to happen from night to night. I mean, it was uh, a league of young, uh, some young players such as myself, and then certainly a lot of veteran players that were sort of playing out the string of their hockey careers. But, uh, you know, I uh, it was a great step for me to go from uh, – junior hockey uh, to the Johnstown Jets in that league. There was uh, a lot of good hockey players. Uh, Detroit sent about five of us kids there uh, to uh, sort of develop and get going in our uh, careers. And uh, But, uh, yeah, some of the uh, incidences that took place uh, today, uh, many of the players would have been suspended for life, including myself. I mean, I... I I pulled off a, a prank one night that I'm not very proud of, so I won't tell you about it. But, oh, uh, you're going to tease was, us like that. <laughs> it was one of those things that, uh, you know, I, 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 can, I look back and I think, yeah, that, that movie uh, was pretty close to reality uh, during some of the uh, games that I uh, participated in there. Now, Joe, you're also known for your business, Joe Daly's Sports and Framing, which is located at 513 St. Mary's Road. How long has the business been around now? Well, we're, I think, in our 29th year now. Uh, we've been, uh, it'll be five years in August since we moved over to St. Mary's Road from the Polo Park area. And uh, I know uh, uh, my son Travis has done some uh, framing for Greg that uh, Greg really appreciates. And, uh, so that's uh, another connection that we have with him, and uh, yeah, we're uh, we're really enjoying it. Obviously, with the, with the Jets uh, back in Winnipeg, you know, the last five years uh, or six years has been wonderful, and and uh, the playoff run certainly didn't hurt us. And uh, uh, yeah, we're having a lot of fun in the shop. Uh, people enjoy coming in, and uh, I show up to t- tell stories more than anything. Now, my son Travis is pretty much running the business, and and that's the way it should be. And it's it's nice that I can. Uh, have him take it over and run it properly as as we as a family wanted to do. Well, Greg, uh, he has raved about the framing work that your son does. He says it's the best in the city. If you want have a jersey and you want it framed, uh, Joe Daly's is the place to go. And I wanted to ask you, Joe, uh, because I seem to recall in the, I want to say the early 1990s, there was an explosion of sports cards and sports memorabilia shops in Winnipeg. Everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people were suddenly collecting cards. I collected basketball cards. I know how how un-Canadian. But uh, they were everywhere, and then suddenly they weren't. How did how were you able to, to weather that storm? <laughs> With some degree of difficulty. Uh, no, it was, it was, yeah, the boom period was the early 90s, and... I don't know, uh, I really don't know why it uh, exploded like it did. It just seemed to be something that uh, people jumped on the bandwagon, enjoyed collecting, and unfortunately, 
Uh, at that time, the manufacturers kept up with the demand and overproduced the products that they presented. And uh, uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, um, people bought and spent an awful lot of money on is uh, rather uh, uncollectible today, or at least from the point of view that it, those that want it have it. And uh, so it becomes uh, a problem of trying to re uh, uh, recycle it, so to speak, in 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 the hobby. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to say uh, what uh, what transpired there. But as as time went on, I mean, now uh, uh, I I think we made another transition in the last few years, whereby uh, the um, the autograph memorabilia, the game used memorabilia, is so strong. Uh, people, uh, you know, now are uh, building homes or buying homes. They got finished basements and. Uh, and so now they want to decorate them and enjoy their man cave or the area that they watch their sporting events in. And believe me, some of the homes in Winnipeg are stashed full of um, thousands and thousands of dollars of, of memorabilia that they, the fans enjoy, the, uh, whether you're a collector of a team, a player, or just enjoy a sport. Uh, many, many people have uh, beautiful displays, and uh, it's nice that we can be uh, part of that, and, uh, and we... Uh, we hope that someday uh, we can say that we have uh, a piece of our framing or something that was purchased through us in each and every home in Winnipeg. And uh, I know that uh, uh, Travis really enjoys uh, doing the work for the people. And uh, the greatest compliment uh, we get is when people uh, walk out of there with a smile on their face and say how much they love the product. Well, Joe, congratulations once again on uh, this induction into the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. And thank you for, you know, your years at the business and for all the years that you, you put in on the ice, particularly with the Winnipeg Jets. Well, thank you so much. I, I You know, it's it's something I'll never forget. It's great to be a Winnipegger. Uh, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of being a, a Manitoban. And uh, certainly this, this honor is something that uh, I can thank uh, everybody in Winnipeg for all the support and everything they've done for me over the years, uh, not only as a player, but certainly as a person. And, and I hope that uh, my contribution back to, uh, to our wonderful city has been appreciated as much as I've tried to give it. Joe Daly joining us live, the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame, announcing its 2018 inductees. Joe, a former member of the Winnipeg Jets for seven years in the World Hockey Association. The 39th annual induction ceremony takes place November 3rd at the Victoria Inn. It is almost the end of the school year, but not before students finish writing their exams. My name is Brett McGarry. One half of Mackling and McGarry. Greg had to step away. I think he said uh, he needed to water the plants or something. Often exam time can be stressful for students. So we have reached out to Jon Olofsson, who is a student services consultant with the Winnipeg School Division, to get some tips for you, a parent, on how you can help your kids better manage the stress of exams. Mr. Olofsson, good morning to you, sir. Hello. Good morning, Brett. So... Exam stress is nothing new, but with all of the things that, that kids are taking on these days with the extracurricular activities that go on top of school, again, that's nothing new, but it seems to me young people take on way more uh, than kids ever did when I was in school. So where should parents start when kids have all this stuff going on and then they're bogged down with exams? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you're talking about is really a conversation that's happening, uh, you know, within our city, within our school division, and also also nationally, that uh, anxiety and stress, and even the topic of mental health is talked about a lot more, so there's a lot of stigma reduction happening. So really, we encourage parents and teachers and anyone talking about stress to just start with, with a conversation and acknowledging, you know, that anxiety and stress is, is part of our life, but that sometimes it can it can um, go from a, being a helpful thing to a hindering thing. So really starting with a conversation, specifically for parents. So as a student services consultant with the Winnipeg School Division, do you then deal directly with the students? Yeah, my role is actually is supporting school counseling services and also our, uh, so that's our school counselors. And I do a lot of work also with our school social workers and our school psychologists. But I do hear a lot of information in my consultation and work with the staff around what they're seeing in schools. And it is uh, dealing a lot with stress and with anxiety. So even a few years back, we had a, we have the Our Schools survey, which looks at collecting data and information from student voice around stress and anxiety. And we noticed within the division that uh, stress and anxiety was something that our students were we're talking to us about. So it's, it's absolutely a concern um, for us. It's probably a helpless feeling too, I would imagine, for parents if, if their kids are coming home and they're on the, you know, the verge of a breakdown because they, they're trying to get that good mark for their exam. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and there's a lot of impact around that. There's a lot of conversations sometimes around around social media and the way that the youth are connecting. And uh, so really that's where we encourage people, whether it's teachers within the school or whether it's parents at home, to have a, have a conversation. And really kind of back to that piece I mentioned around whether stress is you know helpful or whether it's hindering. Because we know that stress for anyone and anxiety can sometimes be helpful and sometimes can be a little bit of a, a motivator for us to do well for a short period of time. But really, you know, the concerns start to happen when it looks like that it's hindering a little bit and maybe causing concerns or changes in behavior. And that's where we'll hear from, from parents and students when there's those concerns. So for parents listening right now, uh, if they're trying to help their kids figure it out, what would you say to a student? Let's say you talk to a student and they say, I'm overwhelmed. I've got six exams to study for. Oh my God, I don't know where to start. Blah. So yeah. where do you tell them to start? Well, we start by acknowledging that tests, you know, anxiety and stress and worry is a, is a real reality part of life. And it's, we, we, you want to normalize it and mention that it's something that happens for children and youth and adults. So that's a really big part of it is a stigma reduction piece and acknowledging it. And then looking really concretely at some, you know, stress management techniques. So we've done a lot of work within the Winnipeg School Division around social emotional learning and having conversations around mental health and stress reduction. And one thing we look at uh, is we've done a lot of work around mindfulness. And that's really um, looking at how to self-regulate and how to tune into the breath. So actually some calming techniques. And that's something that we've looked at almost explicitly teaching to students. So that's something uh, that parents could ask about. Uh, and we encourage parents to connect with the school. So, you know, depending on whether you're looking like it's some helpful stress and a little bit of worry and anxiety, uh, you know, that's at one end of the continuum, that's okay. But if it's really impacting behavior and concerns, and like you're mentioning, if, you know, if someone is really having difficulty at home and within the community, we'd encourage parents to reach out to the school and chat with people in the school. So there's lots of supportive teachers, there's the guidance counselors, there's clinicians and, you know, principals and vice principals that you could really create a bit of a plan if it's looked like it's it's creating that much concern. So connecting with the school, um, teaching some of those stress management techniques too could be can be something that's really helpful. Yon Olufsen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Yon is a student services consultant with the Winnipeg School Division talking about exam stress for the kids. It's that time of year. It was my most dreaded time of the year. Gotta hate exams. Like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. We want to talk about Flatlanders Beer Fest. 
You have a chance to sample many, many beers and ciders from all over the world, and it is a fundraiser for the True North Youth Foundation. So to give us a preview in studio, we have Kate Flett, who is Game Day and Events Manager for True North Youth Foundation, and Aaron Alblas, Product Ambassador, Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries. Aaron, we just talked to you a couple of weeks ago for Coast to Coaster, which is ongoing at Manitoba Liquor Marts. I tried half of the first flight. Very good. Uh, so thank you for coming in to give us an education on that. Uh, yeah, before welcome. we before we talk beer fest, what can you just sort of summarize uh, what the second flight uh, or what the overall theme of the the coast to coaster is? Well, the overall theme for coast to coaster is is summer beer. So those are styles that are refreshing, uh, easy to drink. Uh, when it's super hot outside, you know you want something that kind of quenches the thirst. Yep. Uh, and each flight from coast to coaster will have a local product as well. Okay, so you very highly recommended. Uh, they've curated some delicious beers, and that's where, what you're going to get to try this weekend. Now, Kate, when you if you someone has never been to the Flatlanders Beer Festival, mm-hmm. when they walk through the doors at Bell MTS Place, what's going to happen? What's the first thing that's going to happen? Yeah, so you show up to Bell MTS Place, bring your ID, um, and it's an 18 plus event. Obviously, you'll get your wristband, uh, and then you'll walk in and you'll be presented with your program and sampling mug. So the program is uh, basically your roadmap for the festival. It lists all the beers, all the styles, kind of the player. F- flavor profiles, um, and then you get your little cute uh, keepsake camp uh, sampling mug. Uh, and then, yeah, I would t- say take a quick look through the program, kind of highlight uh, some key booths you really want to want to see, and uh, then be on your merry way and sample as uh, as many and as much as you'd like. It is a cute mug. I was, <laughs> I was, I was shattered, though, last year because I, I dropped my mug and what? broke it. That's okay. I think we can get you a a replacement mug if that happens. (laughs) I look forward to that. Now, Aaron, uh, so many booths last year. I try, you you can't hit them all, but if you, it's a little overwhelming. So can you suggest like a strategy or a plan of attack? Yeah, I'd say, you know, kind of go in with the thought of maybe sticking with things that you do enjoy. If you like bitter beer, we've talked about that a lot on the show, or you want to try new things like sour beer. Um, take a look at the program before you get there. Uh, you can see a list of participating booths on the Flatlanders website. Uh, and just be aware of, of, you know, it is overwhelming. There's 345 products. So in three hours, kind of unrealistic to try them all. But definitely try what you like. Maybe is find some new challenge? things. Uh, no, that's not a challenge. It's not a challenge. But, uh, you know, when, when I roll in there, I usually have some key booths that I make sure I want to hit. Uh, and then look for some new things to try as well. Flatlanders, the name. Where, where does the name come from? Anybody know? You know what? Just I'm because not, it's a flat land. Yeah, I th- I'm, I'm sure it is. Some, has something to tie into that. Uh, it has been around for 16 years, so a little bit uh, before my time, before I joined the festival. I don't think I was even of age to drink when it first started. Uh, so I'm not sure where it originated from, but great question. How long has it been at Bell MTS Place now? Uh, I believe this is the fifth year. And yeah. before that, was it Convention Center? It was at the Convention Center, yeah. So is Bell MTS Place going to be big enough to keep housing this event if it grows? I mean, that's something we're going to have to revisit for next year. We're kind of at our max right now, so we take over the entire floor uh, ice level of the MTS or Bell MTS place and then the full concourse as well the 100 level um, so yeah we can uh, definitely expand to the 300 level um, if need be but yeah we're at 91 booths and that's kind of maxed out the space on those two levels right now which is really awesome where are the beers from all over the globe or yeah you're gonna find beer from you know everything from imports to familiar local styles as well 
So the beers are coming from a variety of different countries. Uh, when Kate was talking about the layout just now, uh, and also kind of piggybacking on planning the attack, the ice level, I believe, will have the locals, uh, which they're producing a lot of uh, festival exclusives. So basically beers that are in their creative mind that have a lot of flavor uh, that you may not get to potentially purchase or even try again. So the beer is coming from everywhere, but kind of the theme uh, I have about beer is there's really something for everyone. Uh, and it's nice to have the imports, but it's really nice to, to see the local flair uh, and the touch these guys have, these guys and girls have with brewing. I'm glad you mentioned the, the festival exclusive stuff because I can't remember if it was at Flatlanders or if it was at the Winnipeg Beer Festival that happened in August, but Fort Gary made this beer. I don't know. I can't remember if it was a Hefeweizen, but it tasted like cheese. Ooh. And it was amazing. Wow. And it, it was the, they only made it for that event. So uh, it was nice that I got to try it. Uh, I need to reach out to them and try to harass them into making some more of that. <laughs> Maybe they'll bring it to Flatlanders this weekend. We're mm-hmm. talking about Flatlanders Beer Festival taking place this weekend at Bell MTS Place. Your chance to sample almost 350 beers and ciders from all over the world. And it is a fundraiser for the True North Youth Foundation. We're joined in studio by Kate Flett, who is game day and events manager for the True North Youth Foundation and Aaron Alblas, product ambassador for Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries. By the way, Greg Mackling had to step away for an appointment. He'll be back tomorrow morning, don't worry. But Kate, the so it is a fundraiser for the mm-hmm. True North Youth Foundation, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Flatlanders has always been uh, one of our marquee events for the True North Youth Foundation. Uh, it is a fundraiser, so all funds uh, stay within our community within Manitoba, uh, and they'll be directed to our three programs that we run to help uh, kind of uh, underserved youth meet their uh, potential within um, their lives. So uh, our three programs are Project 11, the Winnipeg Jets Hockey Academy, and Camp Manitou. So uh, it's really great to know that you can go have fun, enjoy yourself, but also know that uh, you're contributing to the community and you know helping uh, helping kids who who need a hand. And how much money do you think you might? You're hoping to raise. Yeah, maybe. we're anticipating $170,000 will be raised off of this year's event, which is huge. And uh, we're able to do so much and uh, impact so many lives with that. And Aaron, how did you describe it? It's it's a good time for a good cause. Attaboy. Yeah. See, it's not yeah, that cheesy. Came up with it. <laughs> not as cheesy as that Fort Gary beer you're talking about. So good. It was um, so good. Something else to keep in mind, we were talking about uh, the number of samples that will be at the event. Uh, if you are attending and supporting the True North Youth Foundation, which I suggest you do, because uh, it is a good time, uh, just want to remind everyone, please make sure that they, they get there safe and that they get home safe as well. And there are, so, there are actually uh, reduced price tickets for designated drivers, right? Yeah, so we'll have designated designated driver tickets. Um, they're available only at the Ticketmaster box office, but you can just walk up day of the event and purchase. Um, and that's just a, a reduced price, so ensuring that the people you're going with um, are getting there and home safely. Uh, you'll also get a voucher for a bottle of water, and um, there is a booth as well that has... Um, Actually, a couple of booths that have non-alcoholic beer that you'll be able to sample. So O'Doul's, oh, nice. um, the Prohibition beer, yeah. Uh, now, Wine Festival has, like, you, you get that kind of, I've had too much wine, like my palate's overrun. You can cleanse it with a piece of bread and water. Does that effect happen with sampling too many beers? It can. It depends on the style of beer. Um, and this might sound a little, a little strange, but I'll, I'll present it this way. So... Hoppy beer actually has um, like a residual oiliness to it. 
So if you are drinking hoppy beer and then you were to switch to something lighter, you probably won't be able to fully sense that lighter style of beer. So it's it's another good reminder um, to maybe start light when you're planning your attack and then move on to those bigger, heavier styles, whether it be, you know, a darker beer, a richer beer or something with more hops. What if the, it's you, you come to a booth, though, that has like four different beers and they, they are that range from light to heavier? I think then you have to kind of make a judgment call of, of if you're changing gears to go into the heavier style. Okay. Um, but good point because each booth will have, you know, their own variety, uh, not just differences between the booths, but each booth itself will want to showcase the best of the, of the brews that they have to offer, right? Can I buy any of the beer on site? Yeah, so there's an on-site liquor mart with around 80 products, but those products are festival exclusives. Mm. So, you know, I know when a lot of people go to the wine festival, they want to kind of try and, and buy what they can't normally get here, and that's the opportunity you have with the on-site liquor mart. Uh, Kate, there's also going to be some food trucks there. I can see four on the website. Uh, yeah, so we'll have five food trucks there. I guess the fifth just isn't listed yet. But um, So that's there to feed the masses. We've had the food trucks for uh, a few years now, and they're a great hit. Um, a good variety from pizza, uh, tot wheels, um, some Caribbean, some Mexican flavors. So um, kind of a little bit for everyone. But, uh, yeah, definitely hit that up. Um, a lot of beer. Can uh, you'll need some food? Yeah, <laughs> I was. Yeah. I, I didn't didn't bring in, uh, any cash last year. Mm-hmm. I just had my tickets, and when I saw the food trucks were there, I was very sad. We do uh, have ATMs on site, just to keep in mind. Oh, yeah. very good. Yeah. Are you Caribbean? Me, mm-hmm. I like the name of that yeah. food truck. We got about a minute left here. If I'm if I want to buy tickets, how do I go about doing that? Yeah, so tickets are available through Ticketmaster and Winnipeg Liquor Mart locations. They are going fairly quickly, so you don't want to wait on this one. But um, yeah. Those are the two spots you'd want to hit, uh, Ticketmaster and Winnipeg Liquor Mart locations. And they start at $39.95. And once again, over uh, 345 products, 91 booths, five food trucks, and Manitoba local beer presence at the festival. 18 booths with 64 products. Aaron Elblast, Product Ambassador, Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries. Kate Flett, Game Day and Events Manager, True North Youth Foundation. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. The headline reads... Winnipeg's talented youth artists collaborate with the Winnipeg Police Service to create a new public art exhibit. And if you stop by Portage Place on Friday, you may notice this new exhibit. And it's going to showcase work created in partnership with Graffiti Art Programming and the Winnipeg Police Service. So to give us a preview, we are joined by Kevin Tabachnik. Operations Manager for Graffiti Art Programming, Inc. Kevin, good morning to you, sir. Morning. So the police are partnering up with uh, these these young graffiti artists. Is this, uh, is this a case of the police saying to the graffiti artists, you're either working with us or you're working against us? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But what this exhibit is, is it's a lot of the youth who attend our programming, largely from the inner city and such, uh, having a chance to work with, uh, you know, people from the police service and seeing them more as just, uh, you know, police and as artists and members of the community. So you you mentioned that uh, there are people who uh, use your programming. First of all, graffiti art programming, graffiti gallery, where's that located? So we're located in uh, Point Douglas 
on 109 Higgins, and it actually is our 20th anniversary. So we've been around since 1998. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, you see the uh, you always see the the artwork outside the building. I was really excited when uh, you guys first opened up. It was nice to see that kind of stuff uh, driving down what's what can otherwise be sort of a, a barren street. So this over those 20 years, what has your facility and your organization done for, as you mentioned, these inner city kids? Well, so graffiti art actually started uh, back as a way to kind of stop uh, illegal graffiti art. Uh, we would give supplies out to graffiti writers to actually recreate their works on canvas. So they would have an area to come and actually do their art without getting in trouble. So it's almost in a way that this police show is cyclical, how we've come from, you know, preventing it and, you know, with youth who would have run-ins uh, to now having a part where they're doing community partnerships and creating art together. So it's been quite a quite a journey for the 20 years, and it's uh, kind of special to have a show with the police now. Well, and good for you for, for giving them a spot to do this in a healthy way, because I can't tell you how many times where I've seen graffiti and thought, well, that's vandalism, but... Man, that's really nice. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've moved a lot now uh, to murals, as you may see across the north end of inner city. We work with a great artist group called Cinema Arts Consultation, who throw a wall-to-wall mural festival, which is actually coming up this September, where you know anywhere from five or more mur- new murals start popping up, and that's actually become the best way to prevent graffiti because. No one wants to tag a beautiful new mural in the city. And with graffiti, you know, people often associate it with vandalism because that's where we see it. Why do these the people who do graffiti vandalism, why do they feel the need to, to, to do it in this way where it's damaging property rather than seeking out somewhere where they can do it where it's not making a mess? Well, I can't speak to everybody, but a lot of people, sometimes it's just the only outlet they have. So being able to give them, you know, the other outlet. And also we offer a lot of skill development and professional development. So, you know, someone who, say, would start tagging, would stop, uh, come to us, they, you know, progress their artistic career. And then eventually they're the one painting, you know, the giant mural. You know, we all... Graffiti art itself is kind of proof, you know, graffiti writers can eventually move to a point of using art for community development and social change. So what does it mean? You, you briefly touched on this, but uh, to, to now have the police working with these young people side by side for this art exhibit, uh, what does it mean to have built this kind of relationship? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a huge thing for us, being able to, you know, move from, you know, uh, at a point where, you know, we're a North End organization, you know, people read the news. And to be able to actually have that link where uh, youth will, you know, be there with an officer over the last six months and they're just talking about art or they're talking about dance, they're talking about music. It's kind of like seeing each other in a light as a person, as a community member. Uh, it's a huge, huge uh, progress from, you know, 20 years ago or even uh, just, you know, Years ago, it's just giant progress is constantly made. And this art show is hopefully, you know, one step to, you know, a future of, you know, when a kid has an issue, they see, you know, an officer or any authority figure as more of a, you know, a person, somebody who can help instead of, you know, what sadly has become a norm in a community. 
Kevin Tabachnik is Operations Manager for Graffiti Art Programming, Inc., website graffitigallery.ca. And this Friday at 4.30 p.m. at the Edmonton Court at Portage Place Shopping Centre, there will be a new exhibit called Intersections, which will showcase the work created in partnership with Graffiti Art Programming and the Winnipeg Police Service. So were did any officers contribute to their graffiti art? Did you discover any talented artists on the Winnipeg Police Service? Uh, it's almost surprising how many fine arts people become police officers, what we found out. Really? Uh, not that maybe the direct cho- uh, choice, but it's uh, it's interesting. So we have a lot of varying types of art, everything from uh, collage to wood burning to graffiti to everything. It was, it was definitely eye-opening to see uh, how many artists are in the force. Well, and you got to imagine, too, the, the things that these men and women deal with on a on a daily basis, uh, probably too much for most of us, right? So they need to have some kind of an outlet. And I guess in this way, it gives them a, a healthy and creative way to, to express themselves. Exactly. And it's a perfect time to learn. A lot of the stuff is a collaborative. A lot of the pieces were, you know, made from passing a passing a paintbrush off, passing a spray can, you know, working, you know, on a music piece together. And, you know, kind of how you can grow together as an artist is always a really cool thing to see for both the youth and the officers. So the event uh, this Friday, what can people expect to see when they head down to Portage Place at 4.30 p.m.? So when you head down to Portage Place uh, in the Edmonton Court, what we'll have is we'll have um, the majority of the pieces set up by all the artists, the collaborative and their individual pieces, uh, each one talking a bit about how they feel themselves as community members, but also a way just to express themselves as an artist. Um, and then after that, uh, all the pieces will be moved down to the graffiti gallery and they'll be uh, running to all the way till July 13th. Okay. And once again, that's at uh, 109 Higgins, 20 years for uh, the Graffiti Gallery. Congratulations on that, and uh, this event sounds great. Admission is free. should also point that out. Kevin, thanks for uh, for telling us about this. Oh, thanks for having me, Rep. Kevin Tabachnik is Operations Manager for Graffiti Art Programming, Inc. Again, the website, graffitigallery.ca. So the event is happening this Friday, June 22nd, 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. at the Edmonton Court Portage Place Shopping Center. Admission is free. It's Intersections is the name of the exhibit showcasing work created in partnership with Graffiti Art Programming and the Winnipeg Police Service. And then after that, you'll have another opportunity to see the show at Graffiti Gallery from June 29th to July 13th. And it includes work by youth who attended Graffiti Art Programming in Studio 393 and officers from the Winnipeg Police Service. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Channel Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB.